Two years ago, we welcomed Paul Spataro, fellow Star Trek geek and movie fan extraordinaire to review the, one of the most recent J.J. Abrams offerings, Star Trek. Each year, Paul participates in the Lust Garden Foundation for Pancreatic Cancer Research Walk, commemorating his brother's life, which was taken all too soon by pancreatic cancer. Paul's 2010 effort is launched, and the walk will be held in July 2010. Visit the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network website and click on the banners there to help Paul and his effort put a terrible disease to rest by donating. No number is too small. Take just a few minutes to visit twoguystalking.com. That's the number two, guystalking.com, to support our friend Paul Spataro's effort to celebrate the life of his brother and help stamp out pancreatic cancer now. Two Guys Talking is an internet radio show providing you with entertainment, a sharing of viewpoints, and fun. Join us as we venture into the world of entertainment and discuss a variety of topics, from television shows, DVDs, feature films, and more. This week, Two Guys Talking... Predator, 1987. The year was 1987. The actor, Arnold Schwarzenegger. The budget, $15 million? Yep. Just $15 million made one of the strongest feature films to date back then. It's time for the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network perspective review of the classic 1987 feature film, Predator. Sponsored by Ability Interpreting, Sprint's Relay Missouri, and Acoustica's Mixcraft Recording Software. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm David Kareet, your co-host. David Crete arrives to the Two Guys Talking podcast from, again, my 9 to 5 And folks, if there was a geek grenade to go off right now inside of Two Guys Talking HQ, surely David would be the first to die. Yes, I would. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are a few people that I, I know rival my trivia knowledge of sci-fi and geekery. And so I welcome you to this review of Predator here on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. I think this is going to be so much fun. Thanks for having me, Mike. Sure, sure. Couple of housekeeping notes. Remember that we have our 2010 I Hear Your Podcast contest coming up, which is sponsored again by Acoustica's Mixcraft Recording Software and Ability Interpreting. It's your chance to get your own talk show again on our network. You can find out more at twoguystalking.com forward slash podcast contest. You can also drop us email via the contact form on our website, which is located at twoguystalking.com. Click on the contact button on the top right-hand side of the page, fill out the quick web form, and let us know that you're interested in having your own talk show via the Two Guys Talking I Hear Your Podcast contest for 2010. Second note is to be on the lookout for a brand new podcast via the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. It's the Interpreter's Toolbox Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Wilkerson, via the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. We're going to be creating a great new podcast that focuses on sign language interpreters, something you guys have probably never even thought of, but something I know you're going to get a whole lot of education from. Look for that as we enter into the second half of 2010. The first edition of that show should be out towards the end of July. It's Interpreter's Toolbox Podcast from Two Guys Talking. And so without further ado, let's get straight to the Two Guys Talking 2010 feature film review of the classic Predator, 1987. Anytime. The hype. Do you remember any hype at all for this film at all, David? Very, very little. I used to read uh, Starlog magazine. Sure. Back then. Yep. And I think there was a little advance on that. Yep. Mostly about the creature's effects. There's a little bit of, hey, it's an Arnold Schwarzenegger film. How much of the actual Predator did they show in that? All of it? Um, like the mask and no, the it was body mostly, suit? No, it was mostly the mask and the bodysuit. I, okay. I think the I think the face was a big reveal, actually. I think okay, it good. was something they kind of saved, which is something they used to do in movies. A lot. Before the advent of uh, spoilers and internets yeah. and such and such and so forth. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of, we're saving this for the movie. Uh, you don't get that so much anymore. I'm a little nostalgic for it. No, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. We'll definitely get to that in one, inside of one of the bullet points. The hype I remember for this film was via trailers. In 1986, I was actually a usher at a theater, which the theater days back then were wildly different than what they are now. Uh, nonetheless, I was an usher with a brown tuxedo at Brookfield Square Theater. Uh, they had all two screens 
Right. <laughs> and so this was showing, this would have been showing in one. And then the other, I don't remember what was showing, but I remember vividly the trailers for this because we would stay and watch it after we closed. The week before the trailer would come out, we'd actually sit inside the theater and watch it. Right. So that's, that amounted the hype. You, Essentially you, the way movies were hyped. Yeah. Get a increasingly larger ad as the movie drew near in the newspaper newspaper ads something you don't really see anymore (laughs) yeah maybe some commercials but that would usually be a blitz right at release or maybe a little after yeah yeah the the trailer and then of course if you were involved in whatever genre this movie circulated into for instance predator was sort of a sci-fi kind of a little bit of a horror thing yeah so if you were involved in that and read any of the literature which was of course all paper literature Mm -hmm. you may have had a little bit of advanced notice on it but for the most part i I don't remember there being huge hype for this movie no i i don't either and it it was even an arnold schwarzenegger film which still meant quite a bit yeah but you would you saw nothing in, to the to the same level of what you see now with feature films that star someone as big as Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right, and I, I want to say this, that Predator sort of solidified his movie stardom. Oh, yeah. But prior yeah. to that, he had proven that he was box office gold. Uh, if you Conan mention Commando, movies, you're going to die. The Conan movies <laughs> had come out. Of course, Commando, probably the oh. best Arnold Schwarzenegger film. Oh, and Thumb in the Eye from David <laughs> Carreet, new host. And, wow. and, ter- and of course, Terminator. <laughs> And let's not forget Hercules in New York. Oh, his, his first stellar. American, yeah, his first American yeah. performance. Yeah. And, yeah, this definitely got the ball rolling. Yes, there, there was, was there was, was much what... excitement when you actually look back at who was the cast now, who have now many of them become major actors and players inside of the film industry. It was amazing to see how little hype there was for this movie. Over here, I heard you guys talking. I heard you guys talking. I heard you guys talking. The money. All right, David, it's time for you to take over the Tony roll in regard to money. Do you have any idea at all what Predator made to date in the theater? I would go with my first hunch originally, <laughs> which was significantly more than what it actually did. I, I thought it was somewhere between 90 and 100 million, which is highly erroneous as I've come to find out. <laughs> So $90 million was a great guess. Unfortunately, total domestic gross to date is $59,700,000. Which is a, a huge opening weekend, but uh, is you know absolutely nothing if you look at you know, today's box office. But yeah. for hey, the late 80s... I, I, I'm going to give you the sample. We're recording this beginning days of July, and this weekend, or this last weekend, Twilight the Saga Eclipse... It made $69 million over the weekend. <laughs> and one movie right. has and literally trumped. It, yeah, it's, it's $60 million is, is today a good opening weekend yeah. for that movie at that time. Fairly stellar box office. Yeah. Especially since when you look at it, there was almost, as we had discussed, you know, nothing leading up to this movie. Right. Nothing leading up to it and only $15 million poured into it to make the film. Right. That's, that's stellar. Because right and now what you'd look at is you'd have one big star that would be making $15 million on a film. Absolutely. And I don't, I have no idea what Arnold made. Surely there's a website someplace to I'm, figure I'm it out. I'm sure there is. But if you looked at it like this, if you wanted Arnold in your movie, he was just in... Uh, the Sylvester Stallone movie, mm-hmm. The Expendables, I believe. Yeah, it's coming up. He makes up. a cameo it's in that movie. Up. I'm sure they had to come up with $15 million just <laughs> to get Arnold to do a few minutes in their film. Probably. Which all went to one of his sad political campaigns, right. probably. Ultimately, any movie that makes four times what it costs to make is a hit. It's a success. Right. right. You pour $100 million into a film today... Uh, you'd be lucky to get $400 million out of it on the yeah. back end. Yeah. So uh, the movie was a phenomenal success monetarily-wise, especially given the time frame. Yeah. Turn around. I heard you guys talking. I heard you guys talking. I heard you guys talking. Predator. The good. All right, folks, strap in. This is one of my favorite films, and there's a ton of good things to talk about. The first... There's no ADD here. A spaceship. A team. A mission. Done and done. Movie gets going. Done. Yeah, and I love the, that. because Some of the stuff that's good about that is it's almost minimalist in a way. Yes, I agree. Um, the spaceship is essentially just a brief moment at the beginning of the credits. Hello, we're letting you know that this is something from outer space. Now forget all about it. 
because the thing has arrived. That's not what the that's not what the focus is. That this is from outer space. Right. It sets up its existence. I actually remember the first time I saw this film. I didn't know it was from outer space. I thought it was some cat thing. Mm-hmm. When you first get the blah heat vision stuff, right? And you hear the thumping heartbeat, and there, you know, before then, and, and except the for purr. the actual, yeah, the predator purr, yeah. yeah. And uh, so I didn't, I didn't know. The no. very beginning, you see a ship yeah. and a little pod breaks off yeah. and it falls to the earth, and then right. and then you put two and two together that oh okay, all right, so it's an alien, okay, and I love that. It's almost accidental misdirection. It's not important to the movie, right? It's good There's, that it's there, but it's not important. And then we'll also talk about that when we talk about the tech here in just a little bit, which was stellar inside of this film. Bottom line is that in movies today, in 2010, we can see so many instances of what I would call complete ADD. There are quick flashes of things here and there, lots of brilliant special effects flashing here and there, and there's usually no reason at all for them. They're, right. just, they're just there to make shiny sparkle fish lure things. I, I completely agree with you. Uh, the incredibly tight views they take on action today has is done. They need to move away from it. Yeah. If you're going to show me the battle between two 20-foot-tall giant robots, please show it to me from a distance of several hundred meters as opposed to like three inches off of one of their chest. Yeah. Because... What that, what that results in is horribly fast camera swings, a loss of action, a loss of perspective, and that is not something you get from this movie. It is, if you'll excuse the expression, a classically cinemagraphed film. Yeah. The other thing that that brings, and we've got tons of feedback from both of our uh, Transformers reviews, which you can find at our website, by the way. It's twoguystalking.com. What, what you'll notice is that people get literally motion sick when you have these big, giant oh, things moving in front of you. And I think that that's completely forgotten. There, there, there's a picture that needs to be painted. True. I, I don't want anybody to not forget about any of that. That's fine. But paint a pleasing picture for a general audience as opposed to those wide sweeping moves that you're talking about. If you're going to show me 15 minutes of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, then make it go somewhere. Give it a meaning in the context of the rest of the movie. I, I don't need another chase scene specifically so that you can show me how awesome your special effects crew is. It's If it's not adding to the story, and Predator has absolutely none of that. Everything in the movie moves the story function, along. Function, right. Function, absolutely. There's absolute Form function. Form follows function in this movie, part of why it's so classic. The dialogue. Uh, David was just talking about uh, how the form and function inside of this film works. And the dialogue inside of this film, regardless of who the character is, whether it's the old, crusty, former commander of Dutch, Arnold Schwarzenegger inside this film, who also is the former commander and current commander of Carl Weathers inside this film, Dylan, it doesn't matter whether it's that tiny little character, whether it's the woman, any one of the team members, even the stupid bad guys that die quick inside of the the, the giant explosion gun fest, well, all of them say something that is function it it all provides function and the dialogue is just perfect inside of this yeah there's something that I, i like to call the schwarzenegger approach to dialogue and that is it's witty it's sharp it's to the point there's no excess to it i won't hearken back to my favorite commando Ugh. But we'll use stuff from we'll twice. Use, we'll wow. use stuff from this movie. <laughs> we'll use stuff from this movie. The the entire banter between each of the guys. It's not there just to drop an f bomb, right? And it's not there to make somebody look like an idiot. It really paints who these characters are, it and also it does paints, it in a smart way. Yeah, and it, it it paints how comfortable they are with each other, but it also shows you that they are a team. There's there's congealed action yes. and experience within the team because of how they do and talk to each other. Yeah, within 15 minutes of the, of the beginning of this movie, you understand that these men have known each other for a very long time yeah. and have done some very... Uh, intimate and often despicable things with each other. Yeah. You get that feeling. And totally. they're, they're yeah. as comfortable as a family in their living room. Yeah. And while they're gunning people down in the jungle. <laughs> That's pretty well said. The other point that you get here that I absolutely love when I was uh, watching it this last week. Inside of the first very few minutes, you have our now ex-governor, Jesse Ventura, providing a giant wad of spit under the shoe of Carl Weathers inside yes. this film. <laughs> But that's his baptism. It's not him disrespecting him. You literally, with Jesse Ventura saying nothing, 
you literally see that that is Carl Weathers Dylan's baptism into this little group of people. He's he's just chucking a rock into the pool to see what happens. Right. And that's all it is. It, it's not a, a direct up yours ass. Right. It's, it's, it, it's literally uh, testing the waters to see what he can do and get away with. Right. And I love that. The, again, the function of all of the dialogue inside of here, regardless of whether there's none, like yes. that scene... Or exposition. Exposition stuffs can die inside of a movie. Right. And there are probably three or four different exposition conversations inside of this movie, whether it's the, what what do we got to do, that first one. Right. Or when the mission starts to change, when they start to realize, or when Arnold starts to realize that, I don't think the mission is what the mission was supposed to be. Right. And then right at the end, when Arnold is essentially making his own mission plan... All of those things are where most movies die. Exposition scenes suck in most films. They do indeed. None of these do. They're all brilliantly crafted. They're concise. They're to the point. And then you're on. And that's what most movies are missing today, without question. Absolutely. It's not just the uh, it's not just the exposition scenes which are brilliantly done in this movie that movies of a later age tend to get wrong. Yeah. Going back to the dialogue, the dialogue paints who these gentlemen are. And I use the word gentlemen because, you know, they were a rough and rowdy group of uh, commandos. But um, <laughs> but they were, you could tell that these were professionals. Oh, yeah. These were men that took themselves seriously. Yes. And had this movie been set in the Middle Ages, they would all have been knights of renown. Yeah. So you really do get this feeling, you know, the exchange between the comedian of the group and Jesse Ventura. He, he looks at him and he says, hey, man, you're bleeding. And Jesse Ventura says, I don't have time to bleed. Yeah. One of our favorite quotes, by the way. And, you know, that that says an incredible amount about the entire structure of that team and who these people are. Yeah. And it's it's what? A handful of words? Twelve words? Do you have time to duck? Yeah. You know, and so, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, that really, it's that. It's the simplicity of the scenes. And the exposition scenes, like you were saying, they're they're simplistic. They're, I've discovered what's going on. I've changed what's going on, mm-hmm. and now let's go on to something more fun. Uh, and I think a perfect, timely analogy is The Pacific. That was on HBO recently. It was the, we'll call it a follow-up to Band of Brothers. I think that's about all it could really earn, in my opinion. Sure. But that's what was missing. There were little exposition scenes, the little graphics in front of each and every one of those episodes. Yes, but the mission, other than go that way. Right. Well, I had a terrible problem with that inside of that, and th- that's what Predator does perfectly. Right. From the, the few episodes of the, the Pacific I saw was sort of a, a meandering, if you will. Yeah, meandering is a very good word. The, the bottom line in, in it is that there were people on radios making commands, and I don't think that that translated to the audience very well inside that series at all. No, not at all. You very well said. Remember, the dialogue inspires all of us to remember all of our favorite movie quotes from this film. Uh, we just talked about one, I Got Time to Bleed, right. which is one of at least 50 inside of this film, whether it's one of the big stars saying it or one of the smaller players. There's something inside of this film that speaks to everybody that they always remember, and we'd like to hear from you what your favorite dialogue quote was inside of Predator. Not only do we want to hear it, we want to pay for it. You send us your favorite one. I'm going to put them all in a hat. I'm going to pick one, and somebody's winning $50 cash money. How about them apples? That's awesome. That's very awesome. Anyway, that's the favorite quotes contest from Two Guys Talking for Predator. Make sure you access our website at twoguystalking.com. Click the contact button on the top right-hand side of the page. Fill out the quick web form. Let us know what your favorite movie quote was from Predator, and get paid cash money from Two Guys Talking right now. The characters. Wow. I love this. And the reason is because another point that we're going to bring up later, the team nature, but I love every character in this film because they, again, all all follow the form versus function inside of the story. Every one of them. Absolutely. No matter how small the guy at the beginning, the the age-old commander that has clearly within, what, 15 seconds of meeting Dutch, uh, an aged history of missions with him so that he understands how he works right you know my my team doesn't usually work this way all of that stuff is all done instantly yep on every single level for every character including anna the 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 wayward soul who's apparently helping the bad guys but realize that it's going to be better to help these guys because i want to live right i love that 
And it's not just, uh, you know, we talked about how the, the dialogue helps set up these characters and everything, uh, the inter- exchanges between each other, the subtle things, and this is something that, having been an actor myself in my <laughs> younger days... Um, Acting! One of the things that one of the things you do often is Les Nessman from WKRP <laughs> ha- was famous for the fact that the the actor put band aids on himself before the shooting. And if you go back and watch WKRP, Interesting. Les Nessman always had a band aid or two on him somewhere, and they changed constantly. And it was his thing. It was his his little prop, his little something that gave a little character to him, helped him get there was uh, his bit of stage business, if you will. There is a character in this movie that has that stage business. It leads into, they, they I don't know if it was incorporated in, if the actor brought it, but it leads into one of the really most tense moments of the movie, the, the Bic Razor. Yeah, you're talking about Billy Duke, the, yeah. the black dude, yeah. And the the Bic Razor, it, it, it was a bit of stage business. It Absolutely, had, It yeah. was, you know, he just, Carl Weathers, you know, mentions a couple <laughs> times, it's like, why are you doing that? Or, you know, gives him the look of really is now the time to be shaving your forehead. <laughs> but, you know, it leads into one of the, it leads into that when he snaps that razor on his face and he gets just that little line of blood right before everything just goes horrible. Both he and Carl Weathers end up dying shortly thereafter. It's little things like that, little bits of character stage business. It's like the it's like Billy and, and the jokes. Those are the kinds of things that you just don't get in a lot of movies nowadays one of the things that makes this movie incredibly classic is once again it's simplistic it's not hey look at my big glowing dashboard or hey everybody i've got some crazy weird thing over here it's little simple things that really develop the character that add nuance to the film as opposed to distract from what's going on. Now, and I think in general what we're talking about here is chemistry. The ability for all of the characters, even new new found meeting relationship characters, like uh, Billy Duke's character, the guy with the razor, and Dylan, Carl Weathers inside this film... They've only just met, and they they don't generally they don't in general like each other. You literally have Billy Duke telling him, "If you don't be quiet, I'm gonna fish you here, right, right, let you bleed." But you get some great chemistry right before they're both killed off, yes, and it's absolutely. incredibly short. If we were to take a stopwatch to any of the relationships of any of the people that never knew each other inside of this film. I would bet you that it's less than two minutes of total time that you have with each other on screen talking about anything but when they do there's a tie there's a chemistry there's a bond absolutely and that's what you don't see in modern day films no, everybody's you... up there acting and there's very little in the way of liaison that goes on between uh, a set or even a large cast of characters and i i want to say that it's it's not just the uh screenwriter and it's not just the director and it's not mm-hmm. just the actors mm-hmm. um it's it's a, a synergy of all of them what i get from this movie in this ensemble is what usually takes an hour in a buddy flick to develop. This does, like you said, within a couple of minutes. Yeah, you, you yeah. really get a history. Uh, a how is this relationship? Who are these two people in relation to each other? And then uh, a payout, and you get it within minutes. And, and all- lesser movies take hours to do it with just two or three characters and this does it with half a dozen guys and it does it all within just a few minutes span and it all weaves then into the story right absolutely. <laughs> hello yes. I mean, that's that, yeah, that's just the awesome. characters aren't there to serve their own purposes right. they're there to serve the purpose of the plot which is something you also don't get a lot of anymore a soundtrack those of you that have been listening to the two guys talking podcast forever know how much I love to covet soundtracks and the people that provide at least as an essential part as the people inside the film provide acting the soundtrack. And this soundtrack was from Alan Silvestri, who has a storied list of feature films that include Forrest Gump, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Predator, Back to the Future. Which you can really hear in the Predator movie. Totally, yeah. Delta Force. Delta Force Two, <laughs> yeah. Delta Force Two. Yeah. Anybody associated with Chuck Norris, of course. Na- one of my wife's favorites. It's called National Anthem. I don't know if you know that. But... I-, I don't think I do. Okay, it's it's not it's not a very popular film. My wife loves it. Romancing the Stone. Yeah. Chips. Awesome. The Abyss. I did not know that. I just l- looking through a list of stuff that he's done here. I did not know that. A Christmas. The most recent Christmas Carol. GI Joe recently. 
Really? Yeah. When you look at the stuff he did in the 80s, there were maybe three or four names, and his is definitely one of oh, them that did just about everything. Extraordinary, yeah. Uh, Beowulf, the the recent Beowulf, which was one of the higher-end, first-function motion cap movies. Yes. That was several years ago. Mm. The Polar Express. Great movie. Tomb Raider. Not so great movie. True. Same with Van Helsing. I didn't care for it, yeah, but again, no. the soundtrack is outstanding. Made in New York. Um, J-Lo. J-Lo, yeah. J-Lo. Made, M-A-I-D. Stuart Little, The Mexican, and actually, that was an excellent movie. I don't know if you saw movie. that. Mummy, not the original Mummy, the, the um, remake of the, the, the Mummy. The remake of the Mummy. That they that, did with, with one of the most bankable actors in Hollywood, Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser and uh, Arnold Vosloo, yeah. who plays the Mummy. And a litany of others. Uh, Alan Silvestri is just one of my, uh, and Forrest Gump, uh, again, Forrest Gump, to mention Forrest Gump again. He's just one of my favorite all time soundtrack creators, and he provides a home run here inside of the soundtrack. Remember, you can get all soundtracks to all of our reviews by going to the Two Guys Talking podcast website at twoguystalking.com. That's the number two, guystalking.com. Inside of our archive, we have links to all of our past shows, but then each of those also has a link to the soundtrack so that you can go and buy it and help the Two Guys Talking podcast make money. Team Nature. We talked a little bit about this inside the dialogue where I think we, you know, we hit the home run explanation there and why we think this is one of the reasons why we think this is a great film. I think this is a great film because this is one of the best samples of team nature. Everybody has their form and function. You have Dutch barking orders to Hawkins going to da da da, uh, Billy going to da da da, and they go and do it. And I, I, there are so few films that actually pay that off. Right, and it's not just it's not just Dutch telling them what to do. It's they know what their job is. Mm-hmm. They don't even need to be told. You know, we're, we're going to approach from this from this direction. That's really all they need. Yeah. You know, these guys. Uh, once again, you get this really early on. These guys know each other. They're a family. They work well together. But each man has a particular function, and when they're doing that function, they are essentially unstoppable, of course, until they meet, you know, space god with modern, you know, with future technology and a nuclear bomb on his arm. The tech, it's just there. It doesn't dwell on anything. One of our video watchers tonight, again, thanks to Dama, provided us a wonderful piece that Tony and I always rail on, and it's the tech. The tech inside of this movie is simply presented and used. That's it. They don't dwell on it. They don't need to explain how the Predator hood system with the little shoulder-mounted gun works this way. Right. And when it gets wet, well, then bad things happen. That's all just told. Yes. And you don't have to be you don't have to be showered with the midichlorian factor of anything. Absolutely. And one of the one of the most crucial and essential parts to storytelling, and this is whether it's the written word, whether it's in a movie, is show, don't tell. Don't right. give me fifteen right. minutes of he has a cloaking device and perhaps if we get the cloaking <laughs> device wet or under these circumstances and this that no, they don't do that in this movie. It is presented as what it is, and as you watch the film, you learn and understand what it is. Right. Um, and right. this goes for advanced or not possible tech that the commandos themselves carry around. I'm looking at you, minigun, as well as as well as the predator stuff. Uh, it it just is. It's not explained because it doesn't have to be explained because you see through the movie and not through. Here's five minutes of. Hey, look at the cool predator this. It's just presented in the film. It's once again, form follows function. A- everything has a everything has a piece in this movie and you get it as it's laid out. You don't need it for it to be explained to you. Right. What I really liked is that you got to see all of this stuff in in its form and function. A sample and eventually depending on the downloads of this review, Predator 2 I think was a perfect sample of what you're talking about. There was way more technological pornography yes. inside of the second Predator film because people thought, or the people creating movies thought, ooh, well, if we can pay off so much with just the few gadgets that we showed inside of that movie, let's make a whole nother array that they can use. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's exactly how it was showcased inside the second film. Yeah. That's I, what, I think that's one of, the, one of the downfalls of the second film is that they showed so much technology and how right. it's all going to and work. Yeah, I'm sorry, but I didn't need the cold throwers uh, the, the ice throwers or whatever they called them and the exposition of exactly what it was and how it worked right didn't need all that if you wanted to put that in the movie 
fine. I guess right. it makes a little we, sense, but it became, like you said, it became tech porn. Right. Well, and, I, 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 absolutely. And the the biggest part of what happened inside that film is you have the exact pinnacle of how you can crash using exposition scenes. Yes. All of almost every single word uttered by Gary Busey in that film was either. Uh, train wreck country colloquialism <laughs> or damaged exposition scene. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, they would have d- served themselves better if he was sort of a disembodied head that floated on the screen every now and then and As said, opposed to just at a- this point in the film, I would like to make it clear that we have a meatpacking facility we plan on trapping the predator in. As opposed to, you know, trying to shoehorn him and his... Explanations <laughs> into into a silver into a, suit into a horrible character yeah. and then into this movie yeah into that movie that movie into that not movie. this movie do not confuse two <laughs> into this franchise I'm with on. the OG. Let's take a break here during the two guys talking perspective review of Predator from 1987. We'll be right back. Sound. It brings us thoughts, memories, and feelings that are often hard to describe. Thankfully, it's never been easier to describe the quality of the products we use to make the Two Guys Talking podcast shows. Heil Sound has supplied us with some outstanding deals that allow us to bring you some of the best quality podcasts that we just simply couldn't provide without the quality items Heil Sound provides for us. Be sure to stop and visit the Heil Sound website at HeilSound.com. H-E-I-L-S-O-U-N-D.com for your recording needs. Whether it's the outstanding performance of their new Finn microphones or the stability of their PR2 microphone booms, one thing is sure. You'll also be able to give a clear, concise description of what you get from using Heil Sound products. Satisfaction. Tell them that the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network sent you. This is Paul's Tree Service. A person is calling through Relay, Missouri. This is operator. Uh, thanks, but we're not interested. Who is that? Uh, just one of those annoying telemarketers. Wrong. You just hung up on a customer. One who wanted to spend money with your business. A customer who happens to be deaf, hard of hearing, or who has a speech disability. Calling you through Relay, Missouri. Relay Missouri is a free service that allows people who are deaf, hard of hearing, or who have a speech disability to communicate over the telephone with you and your business. Don't hang up. This could be new business. For more information on Relay Missouri, take a minute to log on to RelayMissouri.com and open the door to a whole new group of customers. Become part of a growing community that is silent but can speak volumes for your business. Relay Missouri brings the hearing and deaf, hard of hearing, and people with speech disabilities together at no charge with no sign-up and no monthly fee. Log on to RelayMissouri.com and find out how you can start communicating with these new customers today. Ability Interpreting was created to connect people who are deaf and hard of hearing. For excellence in sign language interpreting, you can count on Ability. www.interpreterstation.com Is your PC running slowly? Are you plagued with viruses, spyware, or software crashes? You may think the answer is to bring your PC in for service or buy an expensive virus protection suite that claims to keep your system clean for a yearly fee. But the real solution is to abandon the source of your problems, Microsoft Windows. It's time to switch to Nexradix, the Linux-powered solution to all your computing needs. Find out more at nexradix.com. That's N-E-X-R-A-D-I-X.com. The Two Guys Talking Podcast Bug, a truly original autonomous mobile recording solution. Get bit by the podcast bug www.podcastbug.com The Lost Chatter Podcast is an official member of the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Nochne, I'm Ian Palmer from the Galaxy Cast Podcast. And you're listening to the Two Guys Talking 24 Podcast. Hi, I'm Paul Spatero. 
Be sure to tune in to the Two Guys Talking review of Star Trek here on the Two Guys Talking Network. Business Communications Podcast, and you're listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast. Don't miss the Two Guys Talking feature film review of Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. (laughs) Vulgar humor, robot balls, the thong view, minority bots. Can we get a collective of everybody to say, we hate all of this? There's no need for any of it. When Mike and I walked out of the theater, the two of us are like, okay, if we just cut the vulgar, the humor out of the movie, we would have enjoyed the movie ten times more than we did. We would actually want to make a cut of the movie without the humor and see how much we'd actually like this movie. Yeah, and when we mention that to our fan base, we get stellar input about how they would love for us to do that. The difference is that we'd go to jail. But I think anybody who's going to own the uh, Blu-ray is probably going to skip ahead when they get to those scenes that they saw in the theater and say, you know, I just don't need this. This should have been on the cutting room floor anyway. And they're going to see the movie that, uh, that we're talking about right now. Don't miss the Two Guys Talking feature film review of Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. Only at the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Everyone, welcome back to the Two Guys Talking Predator Perspective Review here on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Pace. Again, those of you that have been listening to Two Guys Talking for any amount of time know that I always push pace. Even in the worst films, if you have a great pace, you've got a great chance of making not only a lot of money, but a lot of fans, which is what all of this is about. Absolutely. Creating this film made fans of the Predator franchise, period. The fact that we're talking about this movie 20 plus years later is testimony to that. Yeah. And it's not every franchise you can pick up 30 years after it came out and showcase the love and how engaging this film can be. And you can attribute it directly to the pace and then all of the cool things that we've lumped on here inside of the good for this review. Right. It shows the craft of the filmmakers. And this is something we haven't touched a whole lot on, the post-production aspect of films. And yeah. movies are made in the editing room. Yeah. Uh, I am a firm believer in that. When you watch a movie at the theater and then later you see the director's cut... Often they're just, well, we had three scenes we cut out, we're putting them back in. Mm -hmm. It makes the movie crap. Uh, A lot of times when somebody gets to actually reimagine a film the way that either they had originally intended or the way that they wish they could have prior to the advancement in the technology Mm -hmm. or something, Mm -hmm. the crafting of the film is just as important as anything else that goes into it. True. And pacing in this film is... Phenomenal. There is not a slow point in this movie that doesn't exist for a very specific reason. And it doesn't linger anywhere. Right. The, the movie the, lingers not at all. The, the only the only slow part I can think of in this movie is when Anna is conveying her, our men are butchered. That, right. That's which, the slowest point. But which you're, is you're, a little bit of exposition. Right. And it's one but, of these exposition scenes you spoke of that one worked magically and two did not distract from the rest of the film. Right. But it continues to engage, which is, again, the, the whole point of pacing. Just as we have goods inside of movies, in particular one like this one, Predator from 1987, there's always the bad. <laughs> the nuclear bomb factor. 
Okay, this is one that Carlo, my original uh, other guy of Two Guys Talking, always harped about. And it's that, yes, it's a movie. Yes, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes, that's a damn nuclear explosion mushroom cloud left after the Predator dies. Right. And so, effectively, Arnold Schwarzenegger is ducking behind a, a, a giant tree stump. It's the original nuke the fridge moment. No, no way. <laughs> well, no figure, way well, can I put that possibly into the same factor. My no problem, way. My problem with this is thus. I don't care how small the yield on the nuclear device strapped to the arm of the alien spaceman is. There is no way through any kind of, any kind of brush, if it was a flat granite surface, there is no way you can put enough ground between <laughs> you and it with human legs to survive. No matter what you duck behind, nothing. And he's in a dense jungle <laughs> and sort of hops over a log. So I like the way they sent the Predator out. He was a master of his own destiny. Ha, 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 he says as he punches as he the buttons, the buttons. And, and sets off the bomb. But the movie would still have worked if Arnold stood there and went down with him. That's an interesting proposition. The because problem is that I don't think I really I don't think Arnold would have taken this movie well, if he dies. Well, of end. course not. It, and there was a, a big deal back then. A lot of these action stars will would not die. Yeah, uh, that was one of their you know one of their caveats to <laughs> I, I'll do your movie, but I will not die. <laughs> you know, and, and it's not just him. Uh, Sylvester Stallone had the same thing. You got to remember the original First Blood, the Ram, first Rambo movie, uh, the book First Blood at the very end. Uh, Taggart kills. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. Know, well, the you know his his old his old his old general he kills kills him, him. kills yeah. him in the book. Yeah. yeah. And Sylvester Stallone wasn't going to die in a movie. Right. That's suicide for their careers back then. Right. So I understand why it was done the way it was done that he didn't die, but I think from our perspective now, absolutely he could have died in that movie. Um, and as opposed to him looking stoically out the window as the helicopter flies away, we could have just had Anna looking stoically out the window. Because ultimately she was the only, quote, innocent one in the group. She's the only one he didn't hunt because she never picked up a weapon. <laughs> And I think this may be the only time I think that perhaps Tony would have provided some ridiculously nitpickable items for this film. I, I, I put this in the I put this into the negatives here. I think because of some dialogue we had uh, in our in our preamble for the show. Fill me in on the nitpickables because I watched this movie and the pace does exactly what most of the pacing inside this season of Twenty Four did for me. It pushes so fast throughout the movie. I don't get hung up even at the end. Arnold dives over the the tree root and giant mushroom cloud, and then there's Arnold walking across the the barren landscape of what would have killed anything and did kill everything except for Arnold. Right. Well, there's a few things. The aforementioned minigun, of course. You and, know, no, what's the bitching? Tell me. Well, this was something that I heard a lot of when I was when I first when the movie first came out. Sure. Um, that's a helicopter mounted weapon. That's not something someone should be able to pick up and carry around. Now, I don't know the physics behind one of these miniguns. Sure. So I can't sit here and say beyond a shadow of a doubt, absolutely no. But, you know, he just sort of picked it up and carried it around and, you know, took out entire hectares of jungle with it. I'm not entirely sure that's entirely feasible. But, you know, I could see uh, this is something I remember people picking on sure. in this film. I didn't particularly have a problem with it. Because it was really badass to see Jesse Ventura <laughs> wielding this gun and, that no man and, could possibly wield. Yeah, right. But some it's some of the other stuff. Uh, well, here let's go ahead and attack that real quick because we've actually had that happen at least twice. There's probably some other B movies that have done it as well. But you have two reasonably large, especially back then, visages of men. The first time it happened was Jesse with the minigun inside this film. Right, and he's firing the gun with blanks. So you're getting you're getting form and purpose, right? There, there isn't any added extra load because you have bullets on the end of the of the. Uh, and there may be, maybe they're less powerful than regular. Sure, but there's still there's still action coming out of that gun. The second time was when Arnold used it inside of Terminator Two as they were blowing up the the Cyberdyne building, right? And that one as well was literally Arnold Schwarzenegger with the 
the the helicopter mount gun but let's with squibs. Be really clear about yeah. Terminator Two. It's a steel framed android from the future and not a pudgy ex wrestler. Well, right, but it's still a man holding that gun, firing Absolutely. it. I, I, I so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give the physics to yes, it could be done, but you would have to be of sufficient physical visage. And I think Jesse was not quite all that pudgy in that. I mean, okay. he, was, he still had the body of Jesse, the body Ventura back right. then. And so I, I think he was good to go. In fact, I think that's probably how he got that. He's like, I want the minigun. And he just knew that he could, regardless of how heavy it was, regardless of how much it's supposed to break his back while it's being fired, he was going to be the one that picks up that gun and use it. But ultimately, uh, the, the mowing down the Hectors of Jungle happens that, after he gets shot and uh, Dukes runs over and picks the gun yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so two men actually wield that gun in that, in that film. Fair. But, you know, once again, that's it's a nitpick. It, you can, once again, it's part of the technology, and you can just, you just, it just it is. It right. just is. Yeah. And in this situation, that gun is carryable and maneuverable and operable by one guy. Right. If um, anything, I think the nitpick of that would be where the hell did all that ammo come from? Right. Uh, obviously, because... he had a backpack, but really, is it that big? <laughs> it's like Dora's backpack. Yes, it is where like you Dora's can, backpack. Where you can shove the world into it and grab whatever you need to whenever you need to. Which is a good time. Hit, hit, hit the next nitpick. My my other serious nitpick, and this is really once again sort of a stage business kind of a thing. There's the part where Billy is going to face the predator. He sends everybody <laughs> yeah. else on. He's going to sacrifice himself to face the predator, and he takes off his vest and he pulls out his big giant knife and he squirts fake blood across his <laughs> chest. You know, uh, the movie was made for $15 million, and I really think that they could have dropped another three or $400 to make that look a little better. Um, this is actually, it's funny that you meant this. This was going to be our last negative inside this review, but I had written this down as the engine throwdown. And Tony is also the one, the one nitpick that Tony brought up about this entire film when we first started talking about it was the engine throwdown. Tony's nitpick was... Why in the hell does he, one, throw the gun away? He disrobes, and then he slices his chest open with yeah. this gargantuan machete. Right. Thereby dropping his blood pressure to nothing that could allow him to fight at all. And what this is supposed to simulate is the engine throwdown where it's you and me, and I'm letting the warrior out of me. That That's what sure, this whole thing I, is, and that's and, fine. And I get that. You're absolutely right. It should have looked like something better than a couple of ketchup packets squirting Ab- out of the tip absolutely. of the knife. You're absolutely in, right. In fact, the when you see Billy through the Predator's vision and he has the scar on his chest, that is cool. But then when they cut back to him and he has a small line of red dye across his chest, that takes away from everything they take set out of the, the special effect yeah, shot. I, I'll absolutely give you that. I, you know, I, once again, it seems within character, I think... For the brave native soul, the tracker, you know, Rogonda. right? Yeah. To to turn on the predator <laughs> and just go at him with the knife. Yeah. The moment for me is completely ruined by the obvious stage blood that he just kind of draws across himself with the knife. Clearly, that would have been what made him take that role. I agree. Okay, and so the way it should have been played was the instant that he puts the knife atop of his left chest and then starts to draw across, it should have instantly snapped a predator way up high in a tree someplace, and you see the lion draw across his chest. Absolutely. That would have been the way to get by. I mean, it's already an R film, screwed. But that would have taken away some of the bloodlust inside of uh, showcasings on network television, but then also taken away the nitpick factor of the engine throwdown knife moment. Right, I agree. Okay. Can I do one more? Yeah, sure. Dry mud does not make you invisible to IR. So at the end of the film, Arnold has decided he's going to face the Predator. He makes a plan like any good soldier would do. Mm -hmm. He sets the battlefield, which is exactly what you would want to do in that situation, especially against a heavily camouflaged, superior fire-powered foe. You want to fight the battle on your own field, which is magnificent. The giant bonfire is stupendous. That would really throw off somebody's heat vision, which is essentially what the Predator is using through his helmet cam. And earlier in the film, when Arnold actually manages to escape the Predator, he is in water. He is in what we assume to be cool water, and he gets covered in wet, cool river mud. 
and the predator can't see him. He looks like the foliage behind him. I buy that. I do. I see that. But at the end of this movie, he's got his big giant bonfire, and he's covered himself in mud. But it is plainly obvious that this mud is dry. The fact that the predator has to get rid of his uh, IR vision, his, his infrared super technology, in order to even see Arnold Schwarzenegger in the tree, just, it doesn't ruin it for me, but it draws me out of the moment a little bit. You know, the, the fire, I get that. The uh... I think you've got some great points. Here's where I think you can go back and say, and that's going to work. As soon as Arnold throws the spear, because you have the Predator walking across the log, the big giant log, and then you have him in a higher position throwing down the spear with the grenade attached to the end, that explodes and then starts making all kinds of funky goodness going on with the, the Predator's technology. Yes. I say game over with technology and proceed. And I think that's what the writers were thinking when they actually made that as opposed to, and now we've got to figure out how to get rid of all of it. Right. Well, I mean, no, yeah. it, well, uh, on that point, there is that bit where the predator decides, I'm going to do this old mono school. Mono. I'm going to do this old school. I'm, this dude is still alive and he shouldn't be. And I'm going to show him just how much of a chump he is. And he takes all of his stuff off. You know, he has to take the helmet off because of the bonfire and the grenade and the mud. But he takes off the lasers and he takes off the this. And, he, and he's just, they're just going to go at it fist to fist. And I, I think that moment is a huge payout in that film. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, you don't have that. There's no real good ending to the way that this film, it would have to be a grenade, some spectacular grenade moment. Right. Because even Arnold, even at the end, he then crushes him with the giant tree thing. Yes, which so, he had set up. Yeah. And I love all of that, the, the the crescendo, the ups and downs in the final fight, and then the entire pace throughout the entire film is what makes this a great, great film. The franchise. So we've just spent the last hour talking about how great, how epic, how classic this film, Predator 1987, was. What's happened with the franchise? Give, give me your perspective, David. All right, so let's go immediately to Predator 2. Yep. Predator 2 is not a horrible film. Mm -hmm. It has its moments that are really, really good. There are, there's some good bits in it. There are some good characters mm -hmm. in it. Um, there's even some good story plot. I'll totally some, give there, it that. Yes. I, I love the... I love the. Uh, I think we can even call it RoboCop-esque, where they shoot it in the future, and the Mexican drug rings... Yep. Very much like they are right now. Yeah, amazing. Are, amazing. are taking over and it's out of control and the city's burning and conflict. The conflict that's depicted inside of that film I think is excellent. What kills it easily without any question in my mind are two things. Danny Glover yeah. that I didn't care for. Yeah. And the... He's uh, getting too old for that shit. The, the technological pornification of the Predator technology. Yeah, I agree. Those two things destroyed that film. Um, they, uh, Two of the high points in that film, uh, Maria Chiquita Alonzo. Uh, Maria and Alonzo. the other thing that they do well in this film, and it's something that I think this film started, was the tying together of universes. You, you see the, the alien xenomorph skull in the Predator's ship, and immediately everything that's ever taken place in that universe is now compatible with now this Now has universe. lexicon with this yes, one, right? Yes, absolutely. absolutely. And I agree the with other that. good thing that they do, and I, and I really liked this, it, it kind of adds uh, a certain nuance to an otherwise bad ending to a film, is when he uh, he chucks the flintlock pistol mm -hmm. and, 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 and says, quite, you know, quite frankly, we've been here, we've been here for a very long time, and we will be back. And I think uh, that... I'll give you that. I'll I think that... that is uh, an excellent end to a film that sets up a sequel without saying, uh, without leaving a cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. Like, will Danny Glover get out of the ship in time? Uh, or, you know, is she pregnant with an alien baby? Yeah. Instead, yeah. It, it's very simple. It's very simple. We've been here for hundreds of years at least. We will continue to come back. There's very little you can do to stop yeah. us. Oh, and it's, very, it's funny that you mentioned Alien Baby being born because, of course, at the end of the next film, Alien vs. Predator, that's exactly what happens. Essentially, yes. Uh, the, the story of Alien vs. Predator, I think, had all kinds of legs. There were eons of comic book stories that they were able to paint many visages of inside of that film. I thought it was incredibly well thought up. 
Yes. And poorly executed. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I loved all of the actors. I loved the technology, though it did bend into that pornification of the technology again. And then the end is what everybody thought there would be because that's how several of the comic books ended as well. Right. Where now that the alien is not mated, but kind of sexually interacted with uh, a predator, it's now time to have predator alien baby and see what happens. Right. Um, which, once again, has all kinds of awesome dripping from it. You know, half alien, half predator, you can't be kidding me, yeah. right? You know, but ultimately the execution was poor. Yeah. Um, and what we're talking about here now is the Predators versus Alien Requiem, which uh, I called probably the worst movie of 2007. I think I would agree with you. Uh, the, the, the darkness, the... I, I, what was the story? I don't even remember the I, story. I do not remember the story to this movie. I, I simply remember being horribly disappointed in, in every way, shape, and form. Oh, just, great. Just horribly disappointed. Yes. I, I wasn't exactly revved up to see it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't feel, feel that Alien vs. Predator gave me that charge, like I can't wait till they do something else with yeah. it. So even coming in on a low note, they took me even lower. Yes. And they ruined, I thought, forever both franchises. I, I, I really, I I I really thought that. that that was it, that that was the end. We would never see another Alien nor another Predator movie at all, ever. Hopefully they'll do better this time. Right, with, of course, Predators that's coming out next week. And Two Guys Talking will have the review of that film as well. We'll have it in the always enjoyable perspective format. That way we get to take a picture of the money the road that it had, whether or not it was thumbs up or thumbs down by critics, we'll have all of that for you in the review of Predators via the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. And so we come to the end of yet another Two Guys Talking feature film, in this case, classic review of Predator 1987. Again, just a reference to our contest here inside of this review, we have our favorite quotes contest where you can win 50 bucks by simply accessing our website at twoguystalking.com. Click the contact button in the top right-hand side of the page, fill out the quick web form with your favorite quote from Predator 1987, hit the send button, and you're in line to win $50 cash money. So until next time, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm David Creed, your co-host. David, thanks for joining me for this review. I look forward to more in the future. It's going to be a ton of fun. It was a fun. pleasure, Mike. Thanks for Absolutely. Having thanks to everybody, including the people on our video channel, which uh, if you're curious, be sure to check that out as well at twoguystalking.com forward slash TV. You'll get to see me and a bunch of other people as we do live reviews here on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Thanks for listening and watching, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Two Guys Talking Show. We hope you'll tell your friends and co-workers about us, and don't forget to put us on your podcast list. As always, you can visit and contact us online at twoguystalking.com. That's the number, twoguystalking.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.
Ha, 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 ha,